Natalie and Bruglia, she's got that song with that awesome key change. <laughs> that one. Oh, yeah, is it a key one. change? I'm not musical. Is that, is that what a key change is? <laughs> well, I, I think in know. order to have a key change, Tom, you have to start in a key. Uh, in oh. my, my very basic knowledge of music theory. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't even know what a key is. You know this song, though, don't you? I uh, can't, not even, I can't the basis remember the of that. Torn. Torn. It's called Torn, isn't it? That By was Natalie Broglia. Yeah. God. That was Torn. <laughs> wow. Okay. That was that. It's a cracker. Apparently I heard that, that once torn. walking around a supermarket. It's been, been one of the best supermarket experiences I've ever had. And. I worked, what was the other thing I once heard at a supermarket? I love that this is a memory that's embedded itself in your head now. My best oh, yeah, supermarket was, experiences by Tom Barry. I was picking a fajita, a fajita off a shelf, and I was just like, a, yeah. You just said fajita. A fajita, yeah. Well, I said him that in Bruglia. It was a joke that carried on. Was it? it? Accidentally <laughs> to the fajita. Um, I once heard Nessum Dorma in a supermarket in New Zealand as well. That was very powerful. Wow. A bit of Pavarotti. Oh, yeah. I was, I, I was choosing an ice cream at the time as well. Very Italian experience. Did you plump for a Vianetta on the basis of... Yeah, you did? I, I, I had just one Cornetto. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to your usual six, you fat bastard. Fat Italian <laughs> cunt. Uh, <laughs> you just go shouting at the cashier, give it to me. It was like uh, a self-service. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> You go over here, you pick it up, you give it to me. Just a van cornetto. Do you think how many people do you think are getting this reference? How uh, many of our listeners are getting this reference? How many people come from the UK and are in their thirties, according to our stats? <laughs> yeah. Let me just uh, let me just bring this up. But pull that up. Hold on a second. Yeah, I'll explain. Uh, congratulations you're doing to all two hundred and eighty-six people who got that joke. <laughs> Oh, excellent. Well done, you, if you were one of those 286. Just so that we can make them feel even better, what percentile, how many people in total? So, you know, what sort of percentile would they be in? Oh, um, I, uh, too much maths for me in the early morning. I, the top the top 10%. There you go. You're, you're, a, you're a top 10%er if you got that joke. Well done, you. As you career into middle age, at least you've got that going for you. <laughs> it's a reasonably famous... Cornetto advert. Do, do, do you reckon there are Cornettos in America? We are going to um, have to it, go meta with this description. A Cornetto is an ice cream, a prepackaged ice cream cone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ice yeah. cream is a sweet dessert made from condensed milk and sugar, occasionally mixed with fat and uh, refrigerated. Milk is something you <laughs> m- molest a cow for. <laughs> yes. A cow <laughs> is what you move on to after you finish molesting the goats. <laughs> The goats are what you have relationships with in certain areas of New Zealand. <laughs> and indeed Greek pottery. To bring it in a roundabout way back to back history. Back to history. <laughs> Very nicely done. Ciao. Ciao. Sisi. Sisi. Toro, toro. Bravo, bonjore. <laughs> Strodonki. Yes. Hello and welcome. <laughs> Chris Waddle. Uh, <laughs> if you got oh, that one, no. you're in the top five percent. <laughs> oh, I promise myself. I keep promising myself. You keep promising to stop telling wank jokes as soon as we stop recording. 
and I keep promising myself that we'll stop doing 90s TV references. Nope, I lasted 15 seconds into the scheduled recording of this podcast before dropping Usually a 1990s sketch show reference. The Far Show, for anyone not British. For, for, for listeners, what happens generally is I make lots of rude jokes during the podcast recording, and then about four days later when we get a test run of the recording done by Sam, I then message Sam and say, can we cut out some of the rude bits? <laughs> <laughs> Having been the major contributor of the rude bits. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that I should have, uh, should have said that Freddie Mercury was spit roasting me. <laughs> <laughs> did you keep that in the last recording? No, I did edit that out, but now it's made it into okay, this good. episode. You're going to be living that one down for years. <laughs> There's a lot of gold that gets, uh, I say gold, <laughs> they beige. Get <laughs> beige. <laughs> beige. <laughs> it's edited out. So our podcast recordings tend to go from about an hour and forty minutes down to about fifty-five. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, anyway, this, though, this comedy gold, genuine gold, this is staying in. <laughs> if I have to edit out some facts, so be it. Mm. Hello and welcome to that was genius. I got to get this in before anything else happens. The little history podcast in which. Tom and I, two friends on different sides of the world, exchange little-known history stories on a theme or topic. The topic is decided the week beforehand, but everything else is a surprise. And Tom, what is our topic this week? Eh, hey, conquistadores. Conquistadores. Mm. Conquistadores. Hey, that's the best you're going to get from me, from a Spanish <laughs> accent. I've been practicing uh, well, that all well, week, that one word. Fingers crossed it's also the only. <laughs> Conquistadores, eh? Yes, the conquest what a good topic. of Central and South America by the Spanish, who were lovely, weren't they, Tom? Oh, they were lovely. Well, the, the Native Americans were particularly lovely as well. Everyone was lovely. As I think we established yes. last week, history is full of lovely people. Everyone in history is smiles and rainbows. I was excited the moment we chose this because I love this era and period of exploration. It's great fun. Yeah, I don't know a huge amount about it, but having uh, having done a bit of research now and read up on it, I'm, I'm thoroughly excited to talk about it. Oh, it's just great. The way it borders on fantasy. When they're, yeah, they're, it really all does. these Spaniards are looking for El Dorado and they're looking for cities of gold and they're looking for Prester John and they're looking for all these just weird places. It's great fun. And the real treasure, Tom, was in the friendships they made along the way. Well, where did that come from? I don't know. Just felt like putting a positive <laughs> spin on the mass murdering, <laughs> systemic spread of communicable disease and vast slave trade and systematic rape, pillage and torture of an entire civilization that. Uh, yeah. That was that was quite happy to do it back to the Spaniards. <laughs> yeah, well, given, given the rare opportunity, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Should we explain to people in more depth what the, who the conquistadors were? I mean, you mentioned it, didn't you, really? Spanish and Portuguese explorers of the New World after Columbus. When was Columbus? Yes. 1492, Columbus, wasn't he? Boom, just like that. Fact stick, out, smack you around the head. You didn't know that was coming, did you? No. Just bang. I just come up with dates like that 1492, all the time. done. 1492, Christopher Columbus. Bang. I feel that won't be a huge surprise to most of our American audience who learn about him from year dot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> have you heard of Henry the Navigator? He was a bit before this period. Have you heard of him? I haven't, no. He was a Portuguese chap who was exploring the uh, west coast of, of North Africa, north, north and west Africa, almost a, a pre-conquistador. So that was before the Americas were discovered. A conquistadino. D- grammatically, does that work in Spanish? I don't um, know. A conquistadet. <laughs> we're called, yeah, possibly. We'll go with that. Any, oh, right, well, yeah, where were we? So, yeah, conquistadors. 
Spanish yes. and Portuguese attempts to conquer areas of the New World and in the process discover uh, what well, gold was often on their uh, high on their list, wasn't it? That was pretty Mysterious high on their list. cities yeah. and gold. They were also out there to spread Christianity, of course. Yes, that's true. By example. Um, that example yep. being murdering anyone who refused to convert to Christianity. Yep. Murder thy neighbour. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, as the Bible says. Do not cover thy neighbour's... Golden ass. Yeah, llama. Llama, um, yeah. <laughs> I think we should probably flip something and get going, shouldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah. circling the rim at the moment, and I think we just need to dive right in. Let's flip an album. Okay, and I can attempt some music jokes because I'm so knowledgeable. A nice cheerful one. Oh, what's that? Radiohead? Yes. <laughs> it's indeed Radiohead. <laughs> oh, hold on, Sam. Wait, now, just pause a moment. I okay. can now make myself sound really smart to musical people can by you? saying, <clears throat> I think Radiohead are one of the best bands ever, particularly their later albums. Oh, yeah, you really, you yes, you got the musos with later albums. They'll be nodding yeah. and clicking and appreciation did you like that? now. Even, I did even like though that. I've tried to listen to every Radiohead album since Kid A and I thought they were all shit. But every time I say that to people <laughs> who are musical, they they just look at me like I'm a cretin. And I go, oh, I actually quite like the first three albums. What are, what are we flipping today? We're flipping Pablo Honey, which is their first album. I, I like think. that one. Yeah, I yeah. like Pablo Honey. So do I, which means that Radiohead fans hate me because they all think it's shit. But I actually quite like it. <laughs> yeah, because it's pop. So commercial yeah. sound. <laughs> I know. You're not supposed right. to enjoy it. You're supposed to suffer through it like Tom York did. I, this is good, Sam, because you and I have just had a discussion about music on a, on a reasonable level. Look this at us is go. almost the world is <laughs> the world is turning topsy turvy. During the week, listeners, I had a conversation <laughs> with Sam about sport. You did, <laughs> and it made sense. It more or less did. Yeah, I typed in on Google intelligent things to say about the Tour de France, and then I copied and pasted my responses into Facebook Messenger. Or was it ghost written <laughs> by your wife's family? <laughs> It's actually, she tells me what to say and I nod <laughs> and then repeat and regurgitate. Yes. But no, we did. Oh, we had a God. chat. We had a, we had a lovely chat about the Tour de France. 25 minutes in. Come on, flip it. Okay, okay. We're <laughs> flipping the album. Do you want the front or the back, Tom? Oh, I'm not a creep, so uh, you can choose. No, hey. hold on. No, I, just, I was trying to get a pun in. You did. And I that did worked. get a pun in, but the problem is it didn't make any sense because you can't then choose because you've just seen what side it lands on. Um, I'll go on the front. And you've won, Tom. Do you want to go first or yes. second? I'm going to go first. As bloody per. Right, okay. So, Sam, did you hear the one about the Mexican slave, the lost friar, and the shipwrecked sailor? Are you doing a shipwreck this week, Tom? Oh, possibly. There's an element of shipwreckery. Oh, thank um, God for that. Because so am I. Good, good, good. good. Nice to know that new with new topics we can we can recycle all material. <laughs> I was desperately trying to get a shipwreck, but no. I, this week when I was doing my research, what I thought was, and I thought this on a couple of occasions recently, uh, history is very male dominated, and we end up talking about a lot of males. Yes. So I started trying to look for a female. So did I. I did this as well. Did you do that as well? Excellent. Yeah. And I found one. And as I was researching this lady, I found a couple of other interesting characters as well. So who did you start with and who did you discover? Well, I started off with the Mexican slave. Are you, you asking me this just in case we've chosen the only female? Um, no, no, because I didn't, about. but I was going to, I was going to give an honourable mention, so I still will if you don't if Oh, you go don't on, mention, mention a name and we'll see who it is. Maria de Strada. No, go ahead. Ah. Go on, give the honourable mention. So she was one of the few conqui- female conquistadors who was a full soldier. 
So there were quite a few wives and families tagged along with the conquistadors. In fact, you had to. If you were married, you had to take your family with them. That was part of the rules of being a conquistador. But she went out there as a kind of a solo traveller, ended up marrying out there. So she was full, armoured up, sword in hand, slashing her way through the streets of various poor, defenceless Mexican and Aztec towns and cities. And she was a badass. She was an absolute badass. A horrible person, obviously, but a badass. I'm imagining a sort of 60-year-old, rather large Spanish lady outside her house in a Spanish town smacking a carpet with a big stick. Was that what she was like? Pretty much that. (laughs) Yeah, excellent. Pretty much that. And she died very, very rich. She made an enormous amount of money out of the... uh, conquests of uh, South and Central America, uh, but but died childless, unfortunately, and two husbands, and died childless, so the Spanish king seized all of her land. Oh, right, that's interesting. There was a lot of gambling and risk-taking, wasn't there? Certainly uh, these was, yeah. A lot of people invested a lot of money and came out with bugger all, particularly in the search for these cities of gold. Anyway, so three people I'm going to talk about, and I think they're very interesting because it just gives a nice insight, a lively and colourful insight into what was going on in the in the Spanish main at this time, so the sort of first half of the 16th century. So, first person I want to talk about, this is the female, is a lady called La Malinche. La Malinche. La Malinche. La Malinche, who was a Mexican slave. More correctly, actually, she was a Nahua. Uh, that was a tribe from modern-day Mexico that was under the control of the Aztecs, but it was kind of on the fringes of Aztec and Mayan areas of control. Probably a noblewoman... But as a youth, her father died and her adopted father, being the loving, caring soul that he was, sold her straight into slavery. (laughs) Thanks, Dad. Happy (laughs) birthday. So she ended up being passed between a few different tribes. And in the process, she learned two of the major Native American languages. As a slave, she encountered a chap called Geronimo de Aguilar, who is the lost friar that I'm also going to talk about. So I won't talk about him too much. He taught her Spanish, but I'll talk more about Geronimo later, because I, I, what a good name, Geronimo. That is a great name. Yep. Geronimo! Yeah. Is that how he Always got lost? Swinging. He was just running everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> swinging from tree to tree. Geronimo! Charging along without really knowing where he was going. <laughs> the Mad Friar. That's a great name for a chip shop, by the way. Yeah, yeah it is, isn't it? <laughs> Until you find out that he is a mad friar. Yes. That cod you asked for is actually a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> Never order the mystery bargain bucket from the mad friar. <laughs> Last oh, time, piece of I Lego. got an alarm clock. <laughs> yeah, two pieces of Lego. <laughs> a donkey, a nicely written poem, and... <laughs> oh, a garden gnome. <laughs> it was a... Very strange. And some chips. Deep fry anything, that man. He will. Scottish heritage. If you, anyway. if you can spy it, I will fry it. The motto written <laughs> nice. on the door. Nice. <laughs> I fry with my little eye. Sorry, carry on. No, you, I suppose that you just reminded me. There was a chap, a chap, a, a, when I was at school, this must have been when I was maybe 12 or 13, a boy joined our class who was Argentinian. And I actually ended up being quite close mates with this guy for four or five years until we went to university. I remember his first day at school, I was sitting next to him in um, one class and we were supposed to be drawing, I think we were drawing vehicles, we were designing vehicles. Being the welcoming person that I am, I kept telling him that in the UK there's a make of tyres called Massive Boner and um, <laughs> he, sh- he should write Massive Boner on, on the tyres of this vehicle that he was drawing. 
Yeah, I did a number of things like that. I'm not sure that was a very kind thing to do to a vulnerable Argentinian child that just started out of school. Anyway. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, where's, where was I? So, yes, she encounters this chap called Geronimo, who is a lost friar. And um, he's clearly very, very lost because he's Spanish, a friar, and he's in Mexico. So I don't know how he got there, but we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit later. In 1519, the Spanish conquistador leader Hernán Cortés, who's obviously a famous figure, defeats an army of Mayans in battle. And La Melinche was given to Cortés as a gift by the defeated Mayans. She was apparently very pretty, but more importantly, she was a very, very useful translator alongside this Geronimo chap. Ah. Initially, she was given to a Spanish noble by Cortés, a chap called Puerto Carrero. That was quite good, wasn't it? Puerto Carrero. Cortes then got cosy with her himself, and they actually had a son together called Martin Cortes. And interesting, Martin Cortes is one of the earliest mestizos, which is a term for a descendant of a European and an indigenous American. Is that a PC phrase? I think it is. Yeah, I think it's fine. Absolutely. I think it's still in use in Latin America at the moment. Yeah, mestizos. Later, she shacks up with a Spanish chap called Jeremilo, and they have a daughter. So again, another mestizos. And she was exceptionally important to Cortes. There are illustrated manuscripts from the time. There's one called The History of Clascala, which displays her very, very prominently next to Cortes. And she obviously was allowing Cortes to communicate with the native people and engage in diplomacy. Obviously, conquistador-style diplomacy. I chop <laughs> your head off. <laughs> yes. You'll give me the land or I chop your head off. Sometimes you give me the land and I chop your head off. <laughs> <laughs> if you are a little unlucky. If you get me on a bad day. There is a belief that she herself was also a very skilled diplomat. She wasn't merely communicating, but she was actually quite skilled in building relations. And she supposedly saved Cortez's bacon on a number of occasions by discovering plots against him himself and also possible military exercises by the Native Americans. You, you mentioned a moment ago this mestizos, and there's a term a pejorative term called melinchism, which is a term for the development of a fondness for another culture other than your own. So it's almost like being a cultural traitor. So she's a controversial figure in Mexico. Now, I guess it's a bit funny, isn't it? Because it's this idea that you can't adopt another culture or have a positive outlook on another culture. And obviously there's nothing wrong with it. So now I'd mentioned before, I mentioned this friar, Geronimo. I'm just going to call him Geronimo because it's a cool name. And he was a Franciscan friar from Spain and he made his way to the New World in around 1510 where he landed at a colony where there was quite a lot of infighting amongst the sort of political classes. In 1511 as a result of all this infighting he set sail for Santo Domingo with 15 other men and two women. Don't quite know what they were trying to do. I think they were maybe just trying to get out or possibly they were... Getting the hell out of Dodge. Yeah or they were just looking for a bit more support by going somewhere else. Anyway they end up being shipwrecked. Yay! Hooray! Shipwrecks! Everyone we should, loves We shipwrecks. need an alarm. We need some kind of sound effect that we sound whenever we have a shipwreck on this show. What what sound does a ship make when it goes onto a sandbar? Ah, oh my god, my legs, the ship's sinking! Oh no, there's water coming on board! Won't somebody think of the children? Every man Ships for don't himself. have legs. No, but the crew do. Oh, I thought, I thought you would be in the ship. Unless they're pirates. <laughs> Not very scary sounding pirates. They're a little bit high pitched. They are a bit uh, high pitched. Oh, <laughs> oh, it's wet. Oh, oh, it's, cold oh it's cold and wet. Ah. Oh, whose idea was this? Oh, bloody hell. Oh, I hate this. <laughs> I hate water and boats. I should never have come on this boat. 
I hate water. That's why I'm on a boat. <laughs> if I like water, I'd have been a I dolphin. I me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, most of the people on this ship manage to find their way to the Mexican mainland. They're not trying to get to the Mexican mainland, but they end up on the Mexican mainland because of unfavorable weather conditions. And they're straight away captured by a local Mayan chieftain. And what does that Mayan chieftain do? He prepares them for sacrifice to the gods. Geronimo and a chap called Gonzalo Guero, who is the shipwrecked sailor that I'm going to mention in a moment, managed to escape. But everyone else was either sacrificed and eaten, and they were actually uh, they were actually put in cages apparently and fattened up like pigs. Nice. Quite, I mean, it's a nice way to end, isn't it? In fairness, yeah. You know, you need to get a good meal, a lovely meal, and a warm bath, Tom. <laughs> yeah. so as execution methods go, sounds pretty good to me. And you're the centre of the show as well. <laughs> All these drums for me. Five minutes of fame. Everyone chanting my name. (laughs) Men Uh, want to be me. Women want to eat me. Just fantastic. Fantastic. Some of them were also worked to death uh, as slaves. Why why would you do that, Tom? Why would you build me up with promises of a wonderful death and a warm meal and then knock me back down with being worked to death? How did they pick between the two? How How do you think they decided which ones were big and plump and would taste good? Because apparently there was a bit of cannibalism involved as well. And which ones were just going to be worked to death? Good You're skinny, you're fat. You're skinny, (laughs) you're fat. Uh, We take the skinny one to work, we make the fat one, put him in a cage and feed him like foie gras. Yep. The two individuals were actually captured again. So they escaped this first mine chief and they get captured by another mine chief who was hostile to the original one. And so by all accounts, this new chief was a bit nicer. So when was that? That was 1511, I think. So 1519, Cortes landed with an army in modern-day Mexico, and he heard rumours quite quickly of bearded Spaniards who'd gone native. Eventually, he made contact with Geronimo, and Geronimo returned to his Spanish compatriots, becoming a translator for Cortes, as I managed a moment ago, and working alongside Lamilinque. And that was 11 years after becoming a slave. So this Geronimo chap was native for 11 years before he was returned to his Spanish countrymen. Wow. There's quite a lot of that going around, isn't there? I mean, this yeah. will feature later in my story. is people who kind of got lost in the in the wilds in South and Central America and quote-unquote went native. They tended yep. to go for quite a while. Yeah, well, you listen to the next one. This is Gonzalo Guero. This is the third character in my little story. And Gonzalo Guero, as mentioned, was the chap who escaped with Geronimo. Guerrero went full native. So he earned his freedom and became a celebrated Mayan war leader, uh, loyal to a Mayan chap called Nakan Khan. And if anyone can, Sam, Nakan can. <laughs> and he actually <laughs> marries... <laughs> That's their battle cry. <laughs> what a battle cry, though. Just running through the streets of town, just high-kicking every enemy out of the way. Much like much like the uh, Theban band from a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> you were saying... <laughs> running through in little red dresses and heels. <laughs> So not, 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 so not like a not like a Cossack dancer. No, no, like a can-can dancer. Is that dancer. what you're thinking? Just on his haunches, kicking people. <laughs> he actually married the daughter of Nakan Khan, and they had three children, three more of the earliest mestizos. He also had his face tattooed, his ears pierced, so he really did go native. What were the children called? Uh, <laughs> Kakan can't, Kakan might. <laughs> Nakan maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That game, contraception failed. On a few occasions, Guerrero is enticed back to the Spanish side. Some of his fellow Spaniards hear that he's gone native and try and bring him back. And he actually 
responds, yeah, I think he responds to Cortez personally and says to him, I'm still a Christian, I remember my roots, but I actually have a family here. I'm married, I have a family, I, I can't leave. His roots have spread too deep. And so, in fact, Guero finds his loyalties tested because he actually fights against the Spanish forces on a number of occasions. In the end, it's thought that he's killed when he brings a war party with 50 canoes to help a Honduran chief fight the Spanish. And after the battle, the Spanish discover the body of a European, assumed to be Gonzalo Guerrero. And he wasn't very well liked by the Spanish chroniclers at the time, because he was obviously seen as a turncoat. Much in the same way that La Malinque is a controversial figure for Mexicans. So there you have it. I thought that was a very interesting set of individuals interlinked these three individuals that paint a nice picture of what life was like lots of being captured as a slave a bit chaotic occasionally shagging around quite a bit of murder yeah chaos some chaos <laughs> yes yeah and you could i was thinking as well this gonzalo guero chap i mean if you went to spain at this time you know there's, there's high mortality rates in europe aren't they we've talked about the plagues before in previous episodes of this podcast we have they're nice of you to go over and share them with the uh, central <laughs> yeah. americas yeah and this Gonzalo Guerrero chap might not have had much family to go back to. That might have been the reason why he chose to jump on a ship in the first place. So it's maybe not a surprise that he decided to go native. He was just looking for love, Tom. And just looking for gold. Just look, and and El Dorado. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a sweet ending, I guess. I a think nice it ending. is. I think it's a lovely story of a chap whose loyalty in the end is to his new wife and his children. I think that's a nice ending. Yes, when you put Apart it like that, that, it's a nice dies. ending. Yeah, and then, he, and then he's, and then he's <laughs> yeah. after surviving the shipwreck and <laughs> enslavement. And... Yep, and an irritating Geronimo kept running everywhere. <laughs> Geronimo! Did you reckon he shouted that as he came into every room? <laughs> Geronimo! Geronimo! Yes, we, yes. Okay, hello, Geronimo. How it's like Timmy you? in South Park. Timmy! <laughs> Geronimo! 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 Geronimo, you have to come home now. You're Spanish. Geronimo? No, come. <laughs> I know, Geronimo. I know you've got a family here, but we need you at home. Geronimo! Geronimo! Geronimo? <laughs> really? Is that your final answer? Geronimo! Well, then it's, well, then it's war. <laughs> <laughs> Geronimo, would you mind helping translate? We have this Mayan chief who's trying to speak to us. Oh, Geronimo. Good. Okay, come on over here then, please. Geronimo, Geronimo! <laughs> Yes, if you could just sit down. Okay, good. Geronimo, 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 Geronimo. The mind chief says... The mind chief says Geronimo. The mind chief just turns to the camera and nods and says, Geronimo. And Starlight. Very silly. Oh, well, there we go. The lovely story. I've forgotten his name now. Oh, there were three of them. Gonzalo Guero. Gonzalo Guero. La Malinque. La Geronimo. Geronimo. That sounds like a great kids' TV program. Uh-oh, who's this? It's the Mad Friar. <laughs> <laughs> what are we frying today, kids? <laughs> Geronimo, Geronimo. Oh, Geronimo. <laughs> Geronimo. Oh, a Sports Direct <laughs> mug. Geronimo. Oh. <laughs> oh, your divorce papers, Geronimo. Geronimo. <laughs> Where's your wife, Geronimo? Geronimo. Geronimo! Oh, she's in the fryer. <laughs> Geronimo, Geronimo, Geronimo. Give her her arms back. <laughs> Lovely, Tom. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know where we go from there. I'm done. I'll hand you the baton. Lovely, Tom. What a nice baton you have. 
So, you know, Tom, and I know that we love a shipwreck on this podcast. So I've decided that I'm going to talk about a shipwreck today. I'm going to talk about some people getting lost. Yay! Yay! And I decided to do this for one very good reason, Tom. And that's because whilst, yes, yes, there were atrocities committed on both sides, I'm going to put it out there that the Spanish probably started it by turning up. So the conquistadors are, by and large, absolutely horrible people who delighted in the suffering of others. And so I've decided to flip that on its head and talk about some suffering conquistadors. Excellent. They don't like it up them, the Spanish. They don't like it up them. And the, the conquistadors were absolutely horrible for people who don't know too much about them. They slaughtered and raped and pillaged their way pretty much throughout the entirety of the continent under the name of the Spanish king and Christianity. At these periods of exploration, the people exploring are, real, are often real shitbags. They are absolute shitbags, yeah. They have they would be in a prison. They've left they Spain for a reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, we did, early on in this podcast, I think we were talked about Eric the Red and Leif Erikson. The people who end up doing some serious exploration are told to fuck off, aren't they? Yes. They've got nowhere else to go. <laughs> Pretty much. Nobody wants them in Spain. And there's a reason why you go to the end of the world, and it's to escape. As many of our Australian listeners will appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Australians get a disproportionate amount of stick on this podcast, don't they? I don't think it's disproportionate. I think it's proportional to their crimes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there was there was one particular conquistador who I'm just going to mention because of his name. And that's the only reason he's getting an honourable mention. He was supposedly the kindest, Rodrigo de Bastardas. <laughs> <laughs> but even he, when his ships sunk off the coast of Haiti in 1502, even he rescued all of the gold and pearls on his ship and left the 60 slaves on board shackled up to drown. Oh, so I even the I, kindest yeah. conquistador I think was an I've absolute dickbag. He was known afterwards as the friend of the natives. I mean, for fuck's sake, <laughs> throw them overboard, Sam. They're obviously weighing the boat down. I know, right? Use your common sense, man. So yeah, I thought it would be fun today to look at some of the least successful conquistadors and to add a sense of karma to the entire invasion thing. And the, I think probably the least successful conquistador, Tom, is a guy called Panfilo de Narvez. He was a pretty bad soldier. He was a pretty bad sailor. And he was an absolutely abysmal explorer. Uh, so I'm going to look at just one particular oh. exploit, which has gained him some infamy and shows just how terrible he was at all three. The 1527 Narvaez expedition. So this guy Panfilo, just a bit of background to start with. Panfilo, not to be confused with his cousin, Wok Shortcrust. There we go. That's a bit <laughs> of a, a pastry and cookware joke. But what, but what's a Panfilo? I didn't get it. A, pa- a pan and filo pastry. So his cousin oh, is Panfilo. Wok Shortcrust. Got to do go. it again, do it again, but make it more obvious that you said Panfilo. Okay. And then I'll so, laugh hysterically. <clears throat> so, Panfilo. Not to be confused with his cousin, Wok Shortcrust. <laughs> hey, hey! It's better the second time round. <laughs> That's actually da-da, a good da-da, joke. Hey. Ruined by the fact that I didn't get it. Sorry. <laughs> All jokes are good jokes ruined by people who don't get them, Tom. <laughs> That's the basics of what makes a good joke. 101 of joke making, people get it. Anyway, uh, Panfilo was born in Castile in Spain sometime in the 1470s and had very close relations to Cuba and South and Central America. He was quite closely related to the guy who would become the first governor of Cuba. I'm going to get this wrong. Diego Velázquez de Quelar. There we go. Go in with enthusiasm and you can't possibly get it wrong. And, uh, And he served under him in the conquest of Cuba. So very close links with the New World. We've got a description of him, which isn't a very useful description. Apparently he was tall, blonde, and prone to sunburn. 
So there you go. Fair enough. So according to writers at the time, particularly uh, the quite famous historian and social commentator Bartolomé de las Casas, he was an absolute dickhead, Tom. He was a knob. He was quite difficult to get on. Is that a direct quote? Uh, no, something, something, something about the devil and you'll spend your rest of your eternity in hell was the was the actual quote. But I'm, I'm paraphrasing to say he's an absolute dickhead. Disliked by those around him and he slaughtered entire native communities in Cuba even when they'd come out and openly welcomed them and offered to support them. He accepted their support and their gifts and then slaughtered them, uh, including all the women and children. So a oh. bit of a bellend. Fortunately for everyone else, handling anyone or anything more dangerous than unarmed women and children was a bit too much for this guy to handle as a commander. In 1520, he was absolutely crushed when he was sent from Cuba to stop Hernán Cortés, the the conqueror of the Aztecs, from conquering Mexico. It was an unauthorised invasion. So Nuevas, uh, Navas, sorry, was sent to stop him and was absolutely dicked on, despite outnumbering him three to one. Uh, He was surrounded, captured... Uh, lost an eye and spent two years in a Mexican prison before being shipped back to Spain. So he was a pretty useless commander. And I bet I know who made the difference when they were outnumbered. Who made the difference, Tom? Geronimo! <laughs> Geronimo, Geronimo, Geronimo! Just oh, piled in from Geronimo. the back. Just... <laughs> With his deep fried goods. <laughs> yeah. Geronimo! Just shooting deep fried musket balls at everyone, yeah. <laughs> Geronimo! Throwing deep fried trousers at people. <laughs> Absolutely. That is precisely what happened, Tom. History. Facts, bitches. So, not a very successful commander, not a very successful soldier. Bit of a dickhead. But he wasn't about to give up on the riches of the new world, Tom. Oh, no, no, no. And on Christmas Day in 1526, he got a wonderful gift from King Carlos I, which was a license to claim the Gulf Coast and what is now Florida as his own territory for Spain. Not really the Spanish kings to give. Oh, well, I don't know, Tom. He he wrote it on a piece of paper. (laughs) Seems pretty official to me. I owe you Central America. I just love the the pretension behind it. Oh, yes, actually, yes. I give you permission to conquer a land that I don't have any ownership over. As a Christmas present, it's a bit like those buy someone a chunk of the moon or buy someone... a. A Scottish oh, title. Yeah. You know, you can yeah. you can buy those for like. You know what it's more like? Like Merry Christmas, son. I've given you our neighbour's garden. <laughs> Go and do what you like. They don't need it. <laughs> That's pretty much it. So yes, fifteen twenty six. He was given the gift of Central America from King Carlos the First, a license to claim the Gulf Coast and what is now Florida. But it was a tough mission. And when I say a tough mission, it was the kind of the victory conditions for this mission were like something out of Sim City or some computer game. He had just one year, and in that one year, he had to raise an army, sail to the Gulf, found two towns of at least a hundred people each, and build two forts in one year. He also had to raise all the cash himself, which he did through selling shares and pulling in uh, debts and loans and favours, and set sail in June 1527 with about 450 men and 150 or so slaves, family members, priests and other hangers on. It is indeed Mission Impossible. Yes, I think it could have added a little Spanish flair to that. Just a little... on the end. 
<laughs> so everything went smoothly from June until August. In August, they arrived in the Dominican Republic. And at this point, it all started to go wrong because around 100 of the soldiers met the remnants of a previous expedition heading the other way and promptly deserted as soon as they heard how shitty America was. (laughs) 75% of this previous expedition had died or perished on the way. Around 150 men had come back of, I think it was 600, 500, 600 who were sent out. So a devastating kind of colonial expedition. Who who led that one? Is that quite a famous one as well? I can go and find out. I'll find out who who led that one. I don't have it in my notes. That's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah, so around 100 of these soldiers immediately deserted. In September, the expedition arrived in Cuba a couple of months after they'd set off, where Narvaez pulled in some favours to get more horses and food and replace some of the deserted troops, sending two ships to collect the supplies from Trinidad, where they were immediately wrecked and all of the replacements and supplies were lost. So two ships and several hundred men down already and an awful lot of debt. It took another couple of months for the remaining ships to navigate just around the Cuban coast. And the expedition decided to give up and overwinter in Cuba as the weather got progressively worse and worse and worse and hurricane season really kicked off. In February, so kind of nine months now after they'd initially left Spain, they set off from Cuba with 400 men, 80 horses and five ships. Now, among the new recruits, Tom, was a navigator, a man called Diego Mirulo, who claimed to have extensive knowledge of the coast and seas. And Tom, he was lying. (laughs) It started to go wrong immediately. The expedition tried to dock in Havana before they left. Heavy winds blew them away into the Gulf and they couldn't get back. So they decided to either sail straight on to Florida or Mexico, whichever turned out to be easiest. Uh, Both of these places are only 160 miles from Havana. 160 miles, Tom. How long do you reckon it took them to get to Florida? Oh, I I don't know. Well, you're you're teeing me up for a silly answer and I'm not going to give one. You tell... (laughs) 40,000 decades. 40,000 decades till the end of time. No, Tom, it took them a month to cover 160 miles. Always at sea, so... Yeah. Wow. So pretty much never out of sight of land. (laughs) Oh, that'd be so frustrating. I know. They were averaging about five useful miles a day until they made it to the coast of Florida. Now, from this point on, most of what we know about the expedition comes from one of the few survivors, a guy called Alvar Nunez Cabeza de Vaca, who wrote up his experiences in 1542 in a book entitled La Relación y Comentarios, or The Account and Commentaries, which was later just renamed Shipwrecks. And you'll see why, Tom. You'll see why. (laughs) Notice, shipwrecks, plural. So the expedition eventually spotted land just north of what is... Tampa these days, halfway up the Florida coast, so a bit further than they planned to go, but still only about 300 miles from Havana as the crow flies. They wasted another two days trying to find a safe harbour, which Marulo insisted existed, but actually didn't, just wandering around, repeatedly covering the same ground, like trying to find a parking space on the town centre on Saturday, just going round and round and round and round and round, and eventually or, just... Or if you're my wife, just an empty car park, <laughs> just driving, just choose a parking bay. Round and round. There's lots to choose from. Round and round and round. Anyway. It's the starvation of choice, Tom. Yeah. Eventually, another ship was wrecked, just literally just trying to find somewhere to park. And so by this stage, they gave up. They just thought, sod it, we're getting off here. Around 300 men made it ashore. So half of the original 600 had already gone, along with three ships. When they got ashore, they pretty quickly found a friendly village, traded some glass beads for fish and meat, set up a camp, and promptly read a declaration in Spanish, that this land now belonged to Spain, 
Narvaez was in charge and everyone else had to immediately become Catholic or they'd be murdered. Which did confuse the locals a bit since they had absolutely no fucking clue what was going on or what had just been said. Fortunately, the Spanish pretty quickly got the message across to those stupid and simple locals by waving their guns at them. Message received, everyone's now Catholic, welcome to Spain. That'll learn them. Marulo was given one of the remaining ships, they clearly hadn't learned their lesson, and told to go and find his great harbour or head back to Cuba for supplies. And promptly, neither he or the ship were ever seen by the expedition again. There's a lot of people in this period of history, in this area of the world, pretending they know something that they clearly don't know. There's a lot of bullshit artists. Oh, you never guess what? There's a big city full of gold, and I've seen it with my very own eyes. Yep. And, and taking people on wild expeditions, having no idea where they're going. Yes, fortunately, Tom, that could never happen today. <laughs> Fitness industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. YouTube conspiracy channels. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry, I had a frog, frog in my throat there. So yes, this guy, yeah, you're absolutely right. This guy was never seen again. He did actually eventually make it back to Cuba and return to Florida with supplies, but it was far too late. He turned up like two or three years later. Clearly spent far too long trying to find somewhere to park. <laughs> So the expedition trotted off and started to explore the area, finding lots and lots of friendly villages, which they looted along the way. In fact, they found one where the locals were busy burying their dead, many of whom were succumbing to foreign diseases, in old Spanish shipping chests. And so what do you do, Tom, when you find a friendly village who are suffering under the yoke of communicable diseases and trying to bury their dead? I'll tell you what they did, Tom, since you're probably not going to guess and don't really care. They seized and burned the chests because they were the property of Spain. And how dare you take these boxes to bury your dead that we killed. Exactly the way you treat friendly people, right? So they just left the dead rotting in the streets. Excellent, which which no doubt helped the whole disease situation. Absolutely. We can't have them taking our boxes, Tom. They're our boxes. (laughs) It was all going rather badly wrong. Although the locals were all very friendly, the Spanish were really struggling to find anything to eat, and more importantly, any treasure. So what they did was they split in half. And most of the group headed north overland to try and find Tampa, which was actually to the south, but as I've said, they were terrible explorers and didn't really know where they were. And around 100 men took the rest of the ships and headed to Tampa, which was in the south, and they went the right way. So the foot party were immediately very, very lost because they were heading north and looking at the map that was going south, and all of their supplies were missing because they were on the ships, which had headed south. And they marched for two weeks with no food, literally no food at all, before stumbling on some, again, very friendly villages, which they promptly enslaved and stole all of their food. Because Spain. Around this point, they learned of the great riches of the Apalachee people, who were further to the north, this time to the actual north, and set off to see what they could steal, being aided along the way by a couple of tribes who were at war with the Apalachee. Though unsurprisingly, the Spanish being the Spanish and waving their guns and raping and pillaging and looting everyone, they very quickly fell out. And surprise, surprise, the Spanish burned their villages and enslaved them. So far, so normal. You've got about a few hundred Spanish left, followed by an enormous train of captured locals. (laughs) Everyone starving. Everyone very unhappy. Everyone's a winner. Everyone's a winner, baby. That's for sure. At this point, unsurprisingly, the local tribes decided that the Spanish were dicks and started to become very much more aggressive towards them. The Apalachee responded to the Spanish raiding their villages by starting to attack and harry the Spanish. Every time the Spanish turned around, there'd be men hiding in the woods and swamps with bows and arrows ready to pounce on them. 
and every time the Spanish captured a village, the archers would appear out of the woods and fire burning arrows at the roofs, burning it and any supplies down. So the Spanish were having a pretty miserable time. Entirely their own fault, but they were having a pretty miserable time. So they just had to march and march and march and march and march. And of course, every time they captured anyone, the person would say, oh, well, there's nothing in our village, but the next village along, who we happen to be at war with, have enormous riches. Yeah. And so they were just... They were going any which way that they were promised gold. And more importantly now, food. Because things were starting to get really pretty bad. The Spanish were absolutely starving. They were literally starting to die of starvation. And because it wasn't... A, it, word was spreading very quickly that it wasn't a good idea to help them because you'd end up enslaved or dead anyway all of the locals were abandoning and burning their villages and taking all the supplies with them. So the Spanish were literally having to scrape through the bins and fire pits to try and find individual beans and things to eat. Every time they tried to cross a swamp, which there are an awful lot of in Florida, they'd be attacked by hit-and-run parties armed with war bows, and as soon as they got to waist-height water, they would be pounced on by people hiding in the reeds and hiding behind trees and in the bushes. They were constantly being followed. Because it was wet, their guns wouldn't work, and their crossbows went saggy. Their armour was rusting and weighing them down, so they had to carry it above their heads, and they were getting showered with arrows whilst being completely defenceless every single day, and life got really fucking shitty for them. <laughs> Their crossbows got saggy. Their crossbows got saggy, Tom. Yeah, not even a that's, euphemism. That's technical. <laughs> that is the technical terminology, yeah. Saggy, saggy bows. crossbow. Saggy bows. That's a nickname you don't want, isn't it? But this is how bad it got, Tom. The Spanish started to openly discuss cannibalism. Op openly? <laughs> openly discuss cannibalism. It's they were quite happily chatting amongst themselves about who was going to get eaten first. <laughs> It's not something you imagine would be openly discussed. With. You imagine people no, it's sort a bit of it's a bit taboo, each isn't other round the bonfire and going, hey, Fat Barry, he'd taste all right, wouldn't he? Fat Barry, he's quite close to the fire. Go on, just yeah, one little push. push. Him over. Just a little push. Feed him up first. Look at him. He looks delicious. Give him a nice garlic sauce for his dinner. It'll be like a chicken Kiev. Has anyone seen the fryer? Geronimo! <laughs> <laughs> That's what we think, Geronimo. We can eat him. Mm. So yeah, a few of the men discussed cannibalism quite openly at this point, uh, at which point most of the nobility who were still tagging along on this tour, most of the knights who uh, who had their own horses, decided now would be an excellent time to scarper. Uh, although they couldn't because they didn't know where they were. So you had the knights they who were absolutely panicking. The... Yeah. <laughs> they did actually, in the end, they did hang around because they had nowhere else to go. But it was it was going really, really badly. And then something amazing happened, Tom. Uh, this is something genuinely that I was completely wowed by. At the beginning of August, 1528, someone had a genius plan. The survivors would build a forge, melt down all of their armour to make tools and nails, and build some new ships to sail to Mexico. Right. And they only bloody did it, Tom. They didn't. They only bloody did it. <coughs> <laughs> well, I have written in my notes, A-Team. <laughs> they properly fucking A-Team. Yes. Sporting yeah. montage, the works. Yeah. Pictures of people flicking down their masks before they start welding. Yeah, abso absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. You had, they were smoking giant cigars. It was brilliant. It was just <laughs> like the A-Team. So they made a forge in an old tree trunk with deer skins for bellows, which I had a great mental image of just a deer strapped <laughs> with a pipe coming out of its mouth, just being jumped on by a load of Spanish people. <laughs> Bambi no like! Bambi no like! <laughs> so yeah, they made some bellows out of a poor deer 
And they did. They melted down their armor and they made nails and they made hammers and they made saw blades, which they used to cut down trees. They used pine sap to waterproof the, uh, the hulls of the ships they were making. They took apart all of their clothes and used them to make sails. And as they slowly started to eat through their supply of horses, they were using all of the horse hair and the horse skin to make ropes. Proper survival Bear grill stuff. Bearing in mind, none of these people knew how to sail a fucking ship, Hold on. let alone Bear build grill one. stuff. What's been shoved up at someone's ass? Have, have they started shoving <laughs> stuff up their own asses yet? Because it's not quite full Bear grills yet, is it? Possibly not. I mean... <laughs> Just imagine the producer. No, no Mr. Grills... Um, there is actually a fruit tree just around the corner. Don't worry. Don't worry. I don't need a fruit tree. Pass me the deer's bollocks. I'll eat them instead. Now, what you don't know about living in the wilds is that by putting a piece of bamboo up your ass, it'll attract flies which you can then catch in a handy net for a source of protein. <laughs> in six weeks, with no shipbuilding experience whatsoever, this group of priests... And accountants, there were several accountants on this trip to make sure the Spanish king was getting his cut. And slaves and a few other people managed Just to build... Just what you need in a scrape, an accountant. I know, right? <laughs> Most practical... Genuinely, one of the people they bought on this expedition with them was a royal inspector of mines. Of mimes? Uh, M-I-N-E-S. Oh, okay. as to... <laughs> not, not quiet people acting out... No. <laughs> okay, right no, although I suspect that job did exist in France. That'd be really irritating, wouldn't it, if you're putting all of your efforts into building a ship and a fucking load of mimes are just pretending to. <laughs> yeah, just hammering air into air in the background, <laughs> wiping imaginary sweat off their brow. <laughs> Occasionally doing some jazz hands. Yeah, I mean, poor old Geronimo, he was kicked off immediately by the inspector of mimes. He lost his license within minutes. <laughs> just wouldn't shut up. It wasn't quite Yeah, it was just he kept on shouting Geronimo. Geronimo. <laughs> Excuse me, sir, are you a licensed practitioner of mime? Geronimo? Have you... Mm? Geronimo! <laughs> Geronimo. <laughs> Trying so hard to be quiet. As a single tear rolls down his whitened face. <laughs> <laughs> a, short, a short period of silence before it builds up inside him. He just goes. <laughs> That's your third warning. You're out. That's why he ended up on the expedition. He was kicked out of Spain for losing his mimes license. <laughs> so anyway, this group of to get back to the story very slowly, this group of accountants, slaves, and explorers managed to build five ships in six weeks. Uh, they had proper ships as well. Each was about 30 feet or 10 metres long and could carry about 50 survivors, um, which is properly A-team stuff. And they were really running out of time as well because they had no food. And as soon as anyone stepped foot outside the camp, they were literally under siege by the natives. And they managed to sail away. They actually got away. About 250 men took to the water in uh, September 1528. And within just a month, Tom, within just a month... The few who were still alive were shipwrecked again. Oh, I thought it was going to be happy. Well, not a happy ending, but you know. No. So of the 250 men who took to the water, remembering that these are all appallingly bad sailors who'd taken over a month to get 60 miles from uh, Cuba to Florida. Yeah, and that, yet they were so good at building things. Why did they, they choose or maybe to they build weren't. boats? Or maybe they or maybe weren't they good were at building like... things and that's why they sank. <laughs> yeah. 
but yes, being idiots, they'd launched themselves just at the start of storm season. And and within oh. a month, about 160 of the 250 men had died of starvation and, and shipwreck. Narvez himself died in one of the storms. He was last seen, his raft kind of drifting off into the distance and was never seen again. Oh, um, So around 80 men survived. How many did we start with again? 600. Wow. <laughs> That's good going. Well, it gets worse, Tom. Because of the 80 who survived, they ended up in, uh, not in Mexico, but in Texas, around the area that's now Houston. And so they did actually make it a hell of a long way around some pretty treacherous coastline. They were hugging the coastline all the way because obviously their boats were very small and it was storm season. And I Google maps this uh, doing the di- doing the kind of distances to see how far they got. They got over a thousand miles. Oh, wow. So they did pretty well. But it was now pretty much hopeless. They were stuck in Texas, they had no means of escape, and they were a very long way from any food or supplies or reinforcements. And so the 80 survivors spent the next four years making a, by all accounts, a fairly piss-poor attempt of trying to live amongst the locals. (laughs) Unfortunately, being conquistadors, they managed to get themselves into all kinds of scrapes and were forced to beg, borrow, enslave and steal whatever they could from any of the villages they passed through and basically made a bit of a reputation for themselves as being trouble. I like their commitment to Catholicism and um, (laughs) their superiority complex. Uh, By this point, I would have just been happy to survive. Yes. (laughs) I would have been just quite happy to I tell you what. We're not just still alive. We're We're still going to rape and pillage. Uh, There's only two of us left, but no, all of you lot (laughs) need to become Catholics. Well, Tom, well, (laughs) you say there's only two left. By the end of this four-year period, there were only four left. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. So by 1532, 76 more had been killed. And the four men were Alonso del Castillo uh, Maldonado, Andreas Torantes de Caranzana, or Caranza, sorry, Alva Nunes Cabeza de Vaca, who wrote the book. And so it's from this guy that we know about the uh, story. And... uh, Estevanico, who was a North African slave. Basically, Darwin is in action, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. I I imagine it is just survival of the fittest. Yeah. And uh, by this time, the four who were left were a very odd mix of people. They had spent so long in the Spanish main that they were a kind of an odd cultural mix of Spanish and Native American. They'd been working pretty much as jobbing petty criminals and traders, travelling from place to place, stealing what they could, doing bits of work here and there, bits of diplomacy, carrying messages, occasionally buying and selling slaves. In fact, de Vaca, uh, once a shining beacon of Catholic expansionism and European superiority, had actually by this point become a faith healer and shaman. So, <laughs> right. so he'd it properly put, given up. So he'd lost his marbles, basically. More or less, yeah. And and at this point, the four of them who were still around decided that enough was enough, and they really did have to get home to Mexico City at some point. They set <coughs> off from Texas, Tom, after four years of living amongst the natives and a year of wandering around shipwrecked and lost. They set off for Mexico City, Tom. And if you're in Texas, roughly which direction is Mexico City, Tom? Uh, northeast. Oh, not quite. You have oh. a similar sense of direction to these guys. <laughs> it's it's south, Tom, isn't it? Mexico City is it south is, it of is Texas. South. It is south. Yeah, they it headed is. west. West, okay. We don't know why. We don't really know where they ended up. But it's believed, from the various accounts, particularly by Devaca, that they ended up going all the way through Arizona and New Mexico, eventually reaching the Pacific coast. Oh, wow. So they went a very long way out of their way. They crossed the entire US before finally heading south. 
eventually getting found on the coast of Baja, New Mexico, which is the west coast of Mexico, by Spanish slavers. Bear in mind how long they'd spent living amongst the natives and being shipwrecked, Tom. How long do you think their walk took them? Oh, I don't know. Four more years, Tom. It took them four more years. Sorry, four more years to walk from where? Essentially Houston, Texas to Mexico City, which uh, let me Google Maps this again now. So it's 700 miles, so it is quite a long way, but it took them four years, Tom. Wow. Before they were finally found by slavers. And the four of them had survived. They were finally rescued in 1536. So they they went all the way across to the West Coast? They went from Houston all the way across to, I think, pretty close to San Diego. Wow. Through New Mexico and Arizona, and then down, and they were eventually found in uh, in Sinaloa. It's a couple of hundred miles south of the border. Wow. South of Tucson, Arizona. So a huge, huge detour. They had actually done some really useful work along the way. They'd catalogued the people they'd found and had occasionally killed, and, and had done lots of trading and, and learnt lots about local culture and lots of local languages. So there we go, Tom. A journey of nine years and about 590 deaths. Wow. Goes down as a failure? I think we'll chalk it up as a learning experience. Yeah. Yeah. Frankly, I think apart from uh, poor Estevanico the slave, they probably deserved it by the sounds of it. They were absolute knobs. Estevanico had nothing to do with this, although he did actually spend the rest of his life as a guy leading further Spanish expeditions into Central America. And, uh, and the rest of them went home and wrote books and I think probably led fairly quiet lives for the rest <laughs> for the rest of their short and probably quite painful lives. So there we yeah. go, Tom. Nine years lost in Central America. Fantastic. Very interesting. Yeah, it's got it all. It's got shipwrecks. It's got war. It's got cannibalism. It's got the A-team. Slavery. It's got literally all of it, Tom. Forging boats out of their own armour. Yeah. I mean, I was genuinely amazed by that, that they actually worked out how to, like, smelt iron and make tools to make uh, make ships in six weeks. Yeah. Well, good. You'd imagine one of them must have had some experience. I imagine if you and I were in this situation and decided to melt down, I don't know, something metal to make a ship, I suspect it would end badly. I suspect we'd just end up with skulls yeah. and an argument. I wouldn't end up in that situation, though, Sam. See, I <laughs> see this whole thing would have <laughs> ended true. a few You're stages a... before. Yeah. Yes, you'd have been one of the deserters in Cuba. I would have been one of the deserters in the port at Spain. <laughs> yes, I wouldn't have gone. I wouldn't have left. I would have stayed happily in Spain. So we should probably find a topic for next week, shouldn't we, Tom? In fact, we found yes. a topic for next week because we had a bit of a brainwave before we started recording. I can't even remember what it was anymore. Plane crashes, Tom. Plane crashes, that's right. Yeah, because, you know, we've done enough shipwrecks, it's time to bring it into the 20th century. Absolutely. Plane crashes, I think that's going to be an excellent one. Yes. Right, I think that's pretty much it, isn't it, Tom? We should probably wrap up and let these good people get on with their days. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us on our Little History Podcast. We will be back next week for more fun and frivolity and the inherent laughter involved in the mass human suffering that is plane crashes. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do tell your friends about us. Share our podcast on your social media platforms. There are links on our website to do that, which is uh, thatwasgeniuspodcast.com. And give us a nice review as well. Five stars. Why not? Just so long as it's out of five, obviously. If it's how many out of ten? If it's five out of ten, or obscurely five out of seven, then uh, then we'll have words. Yeah. Just give us max. Whatever you feel like you can give, as long as it's everything. Right. I think that's us done, isn't it, Tom? It is. Goodbye, Thomas. Goodbye, Samuel. Toodaloo. Tibbly-wop. Piddly-poo. <laughs> Toodle-pip. Geronimo!